Hello, and welcome to another edition of The More the Merrier with Donna G. Thank you so much for tuning in to the show. So what do I have coming up for you? Well, the first interview is with Kirk Cooper of Film Market Access, also of Raven Banner, and also of the Durham Region International Film Festival. The hat that he will be wearing today is that of Director of Programming for DRIF, Durham Regional International Film Festival. Although you'll hear me mess that up in my interview. Apologies, Kirk. And after that, you'll hear Tiff Favorites. Every year after the Toronto International Film Festival, I'm asked by my friends, by my listeners, you, um, what my favorite films were at the festival. And I asked Gordon Jingris and Heidi M. to join me to share their favorites as well. In terms of socials and contacting me, I'm looking for show ideas or a guest if you'd like to be a guest on the show. My contact information is www.ciut.fm. Click on the more the merrier and you'll find all my contact details. Or you can reach me via Facebook or Instagram, TMTM with Donna G, just the letter G. My Instagram has my podcast link in bio and also my contact information as well in case you're interested in being interviewed or you have a subject matter that you would like to cover. Just keep in mind that this is an arts-focused show when you are reaching out to contact me. Up first is an Afrocentric piece called Juba Song from the group For the Moment out of Nova Scotia. F-O-U-R, Moment. Curated by the people, for the people. CIUT 89.5 FM is the sound of your city. You're listening to CIUT 89.5 FM, the more the merrier with Donna G. And joining me for this chat is Kirk Cooper, a friend of the more the merrier, and also the director of programming for DRIF, which stands for the Durham Region Film Festival. Catch the drift, right, Kirk? 
That is correct. Thank you, Donna, for having me. I do have one slight thing to fix. When you said drift, you missed the I, which is very important. It is not about me in terms of the I, <laughs> but <laughs> the international portion of it. <laughs> so yes. it's the Durham Region International Film Festival. I stand corrected. Um, it's one of those things where the notes are right in front of me and I just happen to miss it. Um, I'm going to blame that one on age, even though you're not supposed <laughs> to do that. I'm going to blame that one on age and uh, claim my 58 years worth of memories that are in my head and can't remember everything. And it's so. so good that you, so you reached 58, <laughs> and I hope you reach so much more. Wonderful. <laughs> Thank you. So let's get started. Besides my personal business and age, um, <laughs> Drift has been around for a while because I remember when you started this um, at this film festival. So, what are some of the changes that you've seen over the years, Kirk? Yeah, so I started in 2018, and at that time, it was itself, the festival was changing. It was a week-long festival that got shrunk to three days. <laughs> and it, it, it was losing its audience. There wasn't much of an audience at that time. And over the years, we've, um, I've developed a program with um, a small group of people on the board and, um, and volunteers who have helped come on board. This year, we had screeners and we have a programming committee. So in that sense, we've um, sort of honed the program a little bit more um, to focus on a lot more talent that is available and is needing that support in Durham region. Well, that sounds like a good thing to do. Scale back until you're ready to expand. You know, I've seen other festivals come and go. So for that very reason. So, you know, focus on what's important and get the job done, which you are doing. So you said uh, the public is responding more to this three-day festival, and I should say that it runs from the 19th to the 21st. So how has the public response been? Well, the public's response, first of all, um, when I, again, going back to when I started, I did not know what type of audience I, and I think I said this on the, the last interview we've done in the past, that I didn't know the audience in Drift um, or in Durham and how they would um, correlate with Drift. But over time, I we've had many opportunities to engage with the audience um, after screenings, and I'm starting to understand what it is they, they look for. And one of the things they want is films that are educational and challenging in terms of um, it's not just an easy watch, but it's a watch that makes them think. It's something that they can have a discussion with um, any of the talents, including producer, if the producer there or the director or any of the um, the actors of the film. And it's it, it's these are the films they want to see in their backyard. They don't typically want to have to leave and take that commute to Toronto to see a film at Hot Dogs or TIFF, they want to be able to be challenged with the films that they get in Durham at the festival. And that came out of one of our um, one of our exit poll strongly when we did the um, drive-in. We did some drive-in during the pandemic um, in the summertime, and that went over really well. So we grew our audience from that as well. 
You know, that's interesting um, because, you know, the larger powers that be that control the money think, oh, you know, challenging films, we're not going to get the audience. And you're disproving that. Yeah, um, it, it's it's our audience that we listen to what they have to say. And and you're right. So sometimes it's it's probably very, very much important for not just the those who hold the uh, purse string is that the terminology yeah (laughs) exactly Control the money they don't always know what's right you're so right about that we really need to listen to the audience okay so in that um in that light let's talk about some of these films that will be screening at drift well let me say that again going back we have three days and three days of packed amount of films we have three nights and five feature films and lots of shorts to get through and um, our first night is at the centennial building in whitby and we're showing our opening night film and before the opening night film before i say what that is we have this amazing little cute short i love this short it's called primitive times it really is a reflection of our working habits today and what our working habits may have been in um, BC before Christ. I think that's what it's really known as. So um, it's it's an animation that is sort of takes a little bit tongue in cheek of what it is that we find very much like first world problems. Well, guess what? Those problems were also happening back then too. So we haven't really come far. Um, And it's a night of fun and it's a night of comedy. So the next um, film, which is our opening night film is Suze. And it is directed by the husband and wife team, Dean Clark and Lindsay Stewart. And they're known for Mr. D. So, get ready to laugh, get ready to come up with some zany, strange story. And it doesn't get stranger than this. It's uh, a, a woman um, who's experiencing the empty nest syndrome and has taken in her daughter's ex-boyfriend and recent ex-boyfriend who is going through a lot in terms of the breakup. And she doesn't really like him, but she didn't know what to do because she likes to look after people. <laughs> She's an empty nester, and here's somebody that she can talk to. And who knows her daughter? Exactly. <laughs> it's a perfect match. Yeah, exactly. So let's move on to uh, to day two. And so in day two, we have a whole lot of stuff happening. We have um, industry things that can educate you in terms of the industry. So let's start with that. We have a panel that is going to be focused on um, financing and we're going to be discussing insurance and we're also going to be discussing distribution and yes that distribution portion of it I will be sitting and talking um, with my Raven Manor hat on and I'll also be discussing festivals so all the young emerging filmmakers out there or those who are just keen to learn more about how does a movie come together and these parts how do they fit um, we welcome them to come out and check out that And then afterwards, our first movie um, will be The Boy in the Woods. And this is a, this film was directed by Rebecca Snow. And the film is based on a memoir of this, of the book, the same name. So this is an adaptation. And it's based on Maxwell, Maxwell Smart's um, 
horrendous uh, experience um, or ordeal when he was young and he, his mother during the time of the Holocaust, his mother felt I need to save someone from the family and she encouraged him to go and save himself and don't worry about herself and her daughter. And he was able to escape from the Nazis and finds himself um, near a farm. And he was supposed to be taken care of by that farm owner. But sadly, we know how it is. People are pressured and they can't do the they can't be as generous in helping someone in that time period who is uh, who's a Jew. Um, and he had to find himself living in the woods next to the farm. And um, it is a true life story. I don't want to give any more away. I think it's an important film to come and see because it's really about resilience. It's about hope. It's about strength. And I think this young man had all of those to make him to get him through what he was dealing with at that time. Why did you team it with Demon Box, the short film? Demon Box, the short film is, um, I f it was one of the films that our screening committee came across and we just really enjoyed watching it because we were so thrilled by the creative aspects of it. But what it is, is Demon Box itself is a gif that keeps getting passed down through um, lineage, family lineage. And um, the filmmaker felt like he needed to tell a story about almost what is offered up in his, in his um, life um, in terms of this offering to the younger generation. And he is himself is Jewish. So how do, how do the stories and the things that you tell the younger generation, how does that impact the younger generation? Because they're not actually there, but they have to carry on the things that um, are told by someone who witnessed it or heard it secondhand. So that's why it was teamed up with that. The next film, When Hope Breaks Through, deals with mental health challenges. Yes, and it also deals with a chronic illness that Mike Sherman has experienced um, one day just before the pandemic uh, that we experienced. And that chronic illness, uh, I don't remember what the name of it right now is, caused him to be not as, have a much mobility. And it affects his, his daily activity where he would normally go out and do paddle boarding. He couldn't do that anymore, or at least he felt he couldn't do that anymore. But through the pandemic and dealing with that and the pressures of the being locked in, like every one of us, you you have to learn how to dig deep and 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 try to push through. And when he was able to get out and help someone through that lesson of getting on a paddleboard, he himself tried it and he realized, okay, I needed a lot of effort to do this, but I did it. And if I did it once, I can do it again. And he just kept at it to the point where he decides that he's strong enough that he's gonna make a commitment to raise some money for mental health. And he's going to go to all five um, lakes and cross them with his paddleboard. Very inspiring. Yeah, so that night of the Friday night is about inspiration. Okay, and, and the Saturday night, um, does that have a theme? Um, I would say it's really about the locals and we have quite a bit of local filmmakers being um, 
showcase that night. Um, but before we get to the local filmmakers, I want to go back to Friday night and just let everyone know if you're interested in food, it's going to be food and film. And we're going to have three local chefs uh, preparing some delicious meals <laughs> and delicious samplers. So you can come out and also experience that before the films on Friday. And those films will be at the um, St. Francis, Francis Center. And um, that's in Ajax. Now on the Saturday we're just speaking about, that's going to be in Oshawa. So we move from one city to the next. First, um, Whitby, Ajax, then Oshawa. And in Oshawa, we're at the Biltmore. And this is all on our website. I know drift.ca, mm -hmm. you can go there. And um, we're starting off the the day in the morning with some free events. So things you can get to learn about the industry. One of them is gonna be our Foley workshop. So you can learn how we integrate sound with the pictures. Um, and we also have a behind the scenes panel that follows and that's completely free. You can come out around 10, 11 o'clock. I believe it starts, I can't remember, sorry. Um, and it's, uh, it's 10 o'clock because 10. It's, yeah. it's yeah it's 10 o'clock because um if i lived in durham i would go but i'm not <laughs> toronto well, to go to durham for foley but yeah uh, no i know it's no, too bad you know next time we should think about maybe doing these free events but also virtual um offering so people can actually watch from a distance Okay, that's my feedback for the future. <laughs> <laughs> we'll take that into consideration. Good one. <laughs> I, I love Foley work. I love it. So yeah, that's at 10 a.m. Um, for those who are interested. And the behind the scenes is at 1. And um, you also have um, the screening at 3.30. Uh, yes, and that screening is one of my favorite programs to put together. I call it the Homegrown, and it's only Ontario filmmakers are in that package. So you get to see the best of what we have locally. Um, and that includes Durham as well. So you will have a couple filmmakers from Durham and it's all short films. So it's, you just want to come out and just sample some, you know, beautiful short films. This is a, this, this is a great one to come and check out. Um, I noticed one called um, Long Halloween. Oh, I'm sorry. I truncated the title by mistake. It's Colin Carvey's Long Colin Halloween. Carvey's Long Halloween. A, a silent film slasher. <laughs> the poster's hilarious. It is a silent film. It takes us back to the, to the days of um, Charlie Chaplin. And uh, I thought it was witty. I thought it was cute. They did a really good job with the story. It's... Um, it's just a fun little film to watch. It's about six minutes long, so it's not really very long. And yeah, I, it's it's just a, a salute to Halloween and and to also to the long days of when we had beautiful silent films like Charlie Chap, like the director Charlie Chaplin, who did some stuff back in the days. Um, my favorite is Buster Keaton. So <laughs> oh, and of course, thank you. There is also Buster Keaton. I yeah. just went with the most I know, <laughs> the one that was at the top of my head. Yeah. <laughs> <sure> um, <laughs> Charlie Chaplin, I only appreciate when there's live accompaniment for some reason. Mm. Can't watch him on TV, but if there's a live piano player, I'm in heaven with Charlie wow. Chaplin. I don't That's know what it is. Wow. But um you've got some uh 
dramas later on. So you've got the shorts that people can check yeah. on the website, uh, DRIFF.ca. But in the evening, you've got Purple Don't Cry. Love the title. Yeah. Um, so Purple Don't Cry is one of the first films that were shown at Drift that is a feature that was shot in and around Drift. So we're really, really happy with um, this filmmaker's work. We're happy that he was able to give us the film to show. Um, it is a film that I feel, even though it's a crime drama story, I feel it's a very positive story. And it focuses on the Muslim community, which is something I'm learning. I didn't realize there's a large Muslim community from Pickering on the way up to Oshawa. I wasn't aware of this. And um, he it's a very indie film. So he's brought together everyone he can to help him on this film. And it wasn't a lot of people. It was a very small crew. And they themselves were also Muslim. So we get a lot of Muslim people helping out to make the film come together. It's a story that deals with a Muslim character um, uh, and, and, and the gang warfare that is happening in his community. And then um, this was also based on the writer's experience, true life experience as well. Okay. Which takes us to Frida in the Sky, a six-minute film, and then the feature Egghead and Twinkie. We were talking earlier about the screening committee, or I mentioned them earlier, and one of the films was Demon Box that got their attention. Well, Frida in the Sky got their attention as well, and for different reasons. They just thought this film was beautiful and so inspirational. Um, it's really about a young um, I guess Latino, young Latino girl, Latina, sorry, Latina girl and her abuela and uh, her grandmother, for those who may not know what I meant there, and her inspiration to be an engineer and to, to design a plane and to see that come through before her grandmother passes. And so we see that play out in a very beautiful way that we're witnessing it through her eyes and her 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 vision of what this will look like and i see the uh see i see the cn tower in the background in yes. this beautiful little poster it's it looks wonderful and now, the other thing i want to say about that film is mm -hmm. that it's a student film and oh, it's, it's a student film. Yeah, ah. It's in the part, um, we have a student film section and we also have a student film category for um, best award. And so it's been nominated for best student film. We'll see if it wins on Saturday because we give the award out after um, Egghead and Twinkie, our closing night film. What is Ed Egghead and Twinkie? You've got to share um, what's behind that title. Um. What I can tell you is Egghead and Twinkie are both names, but you have to come and find out why they're called Egghead and Twinkie. I'm not ah, okay. <laughs> they're both names of characters in the film, and you just got to come and find out why their name is as such. Both Egghead and Twinkie are good friends, and they are, it's a coming of age story, and they, they find themselves in need to get on the road and it's a road trip movie which which would i would classify as going on the road with your best friend with a little money and no permission from your parents <laughs> 
let's see what happens. <laughs> okay. So sounds like a wonderful mix of films this year. I don't know how you do it as a, you know, as director of programmer and your committee in um, selecting these films for, you know, a three-day festival. So kudos to everybody involved and um, especially you, Kirk. And you mentioned Raven Banner. And uh, yeah. just before we wrap, can you tell people um, what you do at Raven Banner, the hat that you wear there so they know? Okay, so before I get to that, I just want to mention one small thing about the festival before we get to Raven Manor, and that is, um, it is a three-day festival in person, but we do have one week of virtual screening. So for those who can't actually show up to the places that uh, we mentioned, Ajax, Whitby, Oshawa, you can watch because it is geo-blocked to Ontario. So people from Toronto or from Niagara Falls or wherever in Ontario can tune in and check us out. So go to our website and you'll learn more about what's um, on the virtual offering. And there's some wonderful things there too. All right. So now, Mr. Raven Banner. Yes. You mentioned wearing your uh, Raven Banner hat when you were talking about the workshops. So tell us about this Raven Banner hat. Okay, so my Raven Banner hat, it consists of another hat that I wear, which is FMA, and it's a company I founded. And that is about the larger festivals in the markets and getting ready to go to them. Through that experience over, I don't know, maybe 15, 20, I don't know, many years, I'm giving my age away here. Um, I was able to develop a lot of relationships with festivals. So my job at Raven Banner is to navigate that whole worldwide festival um, community and submit films and strategically put them in the right festival. Well, I don't put them in the festival. The festivals have to select them. I'm just giving them a chance to see what these films are. And they would then in turn come back and say, yes, we want this film for the festival. And yes, we'll be doing two screenings, one screening. Yes, we'll fly the director in. So there's a lot of coordinating for that. <laughs> and um, I'm pleased to say that this year we were in Locarno, which is one of, you know, a very top festival. Um, and we had two films there this year. And I'm very, very happy that the relationship we've had with many festivals is continuing to grow. That's wonderful. So for those of you listening, FMA is Film Market Access, which is Kirk's uh, company. And then he works also with Raven Banner, which is a genre um, film company. And now, so now you see why you need to attend the workshops if you live in the area or can get to the area. And for more information, the website again is drift.ca, D-R-I-F-F dot C-A. Kirk, thank you so much for joining me today. It's been a pleasure as usual. Thank you, Donna. I so love your program. Keep continuing to give all this love to the arts community because in need of art, it always restores our soul. So thank you. You're welcome. My pleasure. CIUT 89.5 FM, the sound of your city. Stream us anytime at www.ciut.fm. You're listening to CIUT 89.5 FM, The More the Merrier with Donna G. Joining me for this segment are Heidi M., who is an arts and culture writer and a frequent guest here on The More the Merrier, and her site is highmusings.ca. 
Also joining me is a more than merrier supporter, Gordon Jingris. And we're talking about our Toronto International Film Festival favorites. Every year people ask me, what are my favorites? So this is why I do the show. And after this, it's a wrap for the Toronto International Film Festival, putting 2023 to rest. So Heidi, welcome. Hi, Donna and Gordon. Nice to be back. Gord, welcome again. Thank you for having me. Heidi, people can access your favorites, all of your favorites on your on your website. But for my listeners, shall we start with Cannaval? Sure, we can start with that. As Donna mentioned, this is one of my personal favorites. So it's not about how big the film is, but it's more of the impact on me as an audience member and, um, and cinephile. So Cannaval is a francophone film from Quebec by director Henry Pardo. And it's a film that centers the story of a young boy who has to come from Haiti to Quebec in the 1970s after his family is forced to flee the country during um, the town celebration around Carnival. So that's the name, hence the title of this. It's beautifully shot and the story is told through the point of view of Rico, the, um, the young boy who's about eight or nine and who's trying to make sense of his mother, her actions, the reasons why they had to leave Haiti, and also making sense of this new world around him where, you know, he is surrounded predominantly by white people. So it's a lot of, um, I guess, chaos and curiosity. And the filmmaker uses beautiful magic realism and um, sort of exploring Rico's imagination in a way of helping us navigate the world with him kind of on that journey. And what is it that stuck with you? Is it the child actor? Primarily, yes. Um, Ryan Gijone, who I read actually after I saw the film, that he is also from Haiti and had only recently moved to Canada. So it was almost perfect casting in that sense where, you know, he's living through some of those experiences of the character of Rico. Now over to you, Gord. Sure. Um, One of my favorite films um, this year was a really uh, kind of a surprise for me. It was called National Anthem. It was directed by Luke Guilford. And it's what it is, it's about a young man named Dylan. And he lives in a small rural Texas town. And he's coming to terms with himself. He's um, he's always been feeling a little restless. And he um, finds work at a, um, a ranch. And that ranch is owned by a... Um, a queer man and when he's there visiting he starts seeing um people that are different but somehow they feel very um like very much like family to him and it's just a a wonderful coming out story um trying to find your place in the world and it's just a very beautiful film and what is it that connected you to this film well so many um queer films these days always have to have a big message there is always um you know homophobia is bad uh gay you know there's always a, a message like that and it's it's always surrounded by um a scene of hate or of violence this film people were just being who they are and uh dylan was discovering who he is his best friend on the farm um carrie 
played by um, Mason Alexander Park, who just gives a brilliant performance in this film. Um, they they were sort of acted as a mentor for him, telling him that everything would be okay and just to um, live live your best life. And that's what I really liked about it. It wasn't, it didn't have to have a big message. It was just trying to find your place in the world. So it was without the trauma. Yeah, um, exactly. That, that is often associated um, with people who are outside the so-called the so-called norm. And I can relate to that because it's exactly the reason why I identified um, with a Colombian film called La Suprema. And this is a film about um, Afro-Colombians. And it is a village, a remote, remote village. It doesn't have any electricity. There is um, a main character, Loriana, played by Elizabeth Martinez. And she wants to be a boxer. She refuses to wear dresses, even though her um, her abuela wants her to dress more feminine. She's being raised by her grandmother. Um, and there are two boys that are in love with her. So they're the trio of teenagers there. And they live in this small village with, you know, the African and uh, uh, Latino traditions blended. They're in a place called La Suprema, which is not um, even on the map. So they really want to be recognized. They don't have cable. There's a boxing match uh, that's going to be happening with someone from their village. And she, Des Loriena, desperately wants to see the match. So the village sort of comes together to try and get a TV and try to get uh, cable links so they can see this film. And that's what I appreciated about uh, the film. It is directed by Felipe Olguien Caro. And I'd never seen a film like that before at the festival, actually. This film is, is rare in the fact that it's just about this Colombian village of Afro-Latinos. And, and I haven't seen a lot of Latin films with African Latinos set in a small village like this. And Heidi, you saw this. What was your response to this? Yes, I think we, the three of us, I think, saw this film, actually. Um, I also liked it for the same reason, um, going back to Gord's point in that they the people are just depicted as living their life. It's not about whether they're poor or they have um, no resources. Yes, we're aware that they're in a village that doesn't have a lot of um, resources like electricity, but it's the beauty in community that really kind of comes through in, in the story. And also the character of Laudiana, who is, she just steals every scene when she comes on screen because she has, you know, she's, She's spunky, right? Yeah. Um, so it's just a nice way of getting to know a community without it being um, a sad, sappy story. Yeah, it's not poverty porn. Yes. As I like to call some of these stories that have, mm -hmm. that feature, you know, uh, people of color. And Gord, as um, a person of pallor, what did you, what was your takeaway from this film? I just, I thought it was a beautiful film. It was, um, it was enchanting, and I, I, I just love the the feeling of community in that village, the the relationship between um, the two boys and the young woman. It was that was just um, it was funny in a way because they didn't realize 
she's really not interested in them. And yes. it, was, it was just, it was, it was just such a sweet film. And it was like, a, like we were all saying, it was about community. It was about the little things in life. It was, it didn't have to have a big picture or, you know, solving every problem in the village. It was just for this moment, this is what happened. And this is how people were trying to live their lives. Yes. And it's also uh, very, very funny. Heidi, uh, you have a film, um, a Latin American film, Valentina. Or The Serenity. Mm -hmm. Yes, Valentina or The Serenity. Um, tell us about that one and uh, what country is it from? Um, so the film is from Oaxaca, Mexico, and it's actually centered in a uh, Mexica community, an indigenous community in Oaxaca. And it's similar to La Suprema in that it's set in a rural area. And it also ties in with my other pick around a child, a young girl that loses her dad in an accident. Um, and she has trouble accepting the fact that he's dead and physically is not coming back. So she is trying to look for him in different places. So she's going through that grieving process of trying to make sense of what's happening while surrounded by community and rituals around death and grieving um, and sort of the idea is that it could be a bittersweet story here, but the filmmaker, um, Angeles Cruz, is from that community as well. So she's very much giving us a glimpse of life in that world, but also from the point of view of a, of, um, a seven, eight-year-old girl um, trying to make sense of what's happening around her. And they do it really beautifully without it being, um, like you said, you know, poverty porn or a, such a sad story that we don't find the beauty in the process that she's going through. It was on my list. I couldn't fit it in. I know. Um, <laughs> always the case, right? Yes. Gord, over to you. What other film would you like to talk about or other film experience? I would like to talk about um, the movie Perfect Days by... Um, Vim Bender. Uh, this was actually my favorite film of the festival. And it's a really simple story. It takes place in Japan. Um, a Japanese film directed by a German director it was a kind of a, an interesting take. But it was all about after the country reopened after the pandemic. And during uh, just before the pandemic, uh, they were going to have the Olympics. And they built throughout the city of Tokyo. Um, all these public toilets and there are these wonderful uh all they were all different they're all these really elaborate uh facilities for people and this movie is all about a um one of the men who works for the tokyo toilet company and he makes it he his living is he cleans these toilets daily and he loves his job um you you see that you see him at the beginning of the film um you know, waking up in the morning, he does his rituals, he he makes his bed, he has his breakfast, he brushes his teeth, he gets into the car, he buys his coffee, uh, goes to work, works all day, interacts with his co-worker, he, he, goes to the, he goes to the same park every day, eats his lunch, he has this fascination with taking pictures, so he takes pictures of the trees and the landscape, it's just these little moments of him finding joy in his life and it was um just a wonderful film and as the film progresses 
you see more and more of his life. He, you were introduced to his niece, who he has to take care of for a while. Then his sister, who is a successful lawyer, and she sort of looks down on him because he's not a success in her her eyes. Um, he falls in. He has sort of a bit of a crush on um, a, one of the women that owns a bar. You know, he he secretly loves her, and he has a one of the this this really weird young man that works with him, who steals one of his cassette tapes because cassettes uh, tapes where you, you find out in the film are big um, are big uh, money makers in uh, Tokyo. People want these vintage cassettes that we would have just thrown away, and he steals one and tries to sell it, and the um, the, the toilet cleaner goes with him, his co-worker, trying to get it back. And it's just funny. But these there's these small moments that just make you feel joyous. And um, in all honesty, it has it was one of the few times in movies in years that I've actually gasped. It, it was just an absolutely brilliant film. I, 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 I can't say how much I love this film. It was just brilliant. Guess you liked it. <laughs> just a little bit. um Heidi another one that escaped me that's on your list is the movie teller can you share with us about that one please sure so that film is based on a book of the same name by um um, an author of I think it's uh, she's Chilean and um the idea here is that there is a family that is living in uh, Chile's Atacama Desert, and they're part of the mining community there. And um, it's sort of a film that is centered around this particular family and a daughter named Maria Margarita, played by Sarah Becker, and sort of the way that um, their story unfolds through the decades. We see the family go through uh, experiencing their dad's um, losing the use of his legs because of an accident at the mine. Then the mother leaves the family and the kids kind of have to grow up on their own rather quickly, helping their dad also through his injury and um, sort of making sense of the world around them. So the reason the film is called The Movie Teller is because Maria Margarita becomes the town's movie teller. A lot of the families are not able to afford um, going to the cinema once a week. So she would go and she's such a great storyteller that she would come back and a few folks from town will be sitting in their patio waiting for her to kind of retell what she saw on screen. And she became really good at it, that she would have props, costumes with the help of her brothers. And um, that's sort of another way that she ended up making a little bit of money as she got older. People would pay kind of a price of admission. And um, so it's a bit of, um, you know, for those of us who love film, you see sort of Hollywood classics like Some Like It Hot, uh, Paths of Glory, Breakfast at Tiffany's, The Umbrellas of Cherbourg, and uh, other iconic films that she sort of comes back and retells the the community. But we also see her um, coming into a young woman and sort of questioning her place in that world and uh, what she's going to do with her life. There's a lot in that film that is really beautiful and um, also very moving. Um, And it's nice to see another um, young child um, in the story too. Well, my next film is by a director I had a chance to interview 
uh, many years ago about his film uh, Blanca Nieves, uh, Snow White, uh, Pablo Berger. Blanca Nieves was a silent film, and so is his latest film, Robot Dreams. But this one is animated, and it is about a dog and his robot and the relationship that they develop because the dog is lonely living on his own. He sees all these people with, hmm. um, you know, companions. And so he decides to get a robot and they develop a friendship and they go everywhere together. And one day they're at the beach and the robot um, goes into the water. They have a wonderful day at the beach, but then the robot uh, comes out of the water they're sunbathing they, the dog and the robot fall asleep and you know when it's time to go the robot can't move and the beach closes so the dog cannot go and rescue his friend so the story moves along from there um as the, as the robot dreams as he's trapped through the seasons um of what uh, of his imagination. So we're seeing the imagination of this robot come to life um, in little animated stories. And we also see the path that um, the dog is taking as he is counting down to the time where the beach reopens and he can go and and get his friend. And I absolutely loved and bought every moment um, of this uh, animated feature. And Gord, you saw it as well. Um, I'm jealous. I just want to say I'm jealous because I didn't make it and I wanted to see it. <laughs> it's it's absolutely wonderful. You can attest to this too, right, Gord? Oh, I, I love this movie so much. And um, the other thing I loved about the film is that it's a it's it's a love letter to New York City. Um, when um, at the end of the film, when the director was talking about the film, he said he he would put in specific uh, things about New York, particularly in the 80s where the, when this film is set, like um, Kim's video stores, I guess this big video store in um, in New York at the time. Where, and it, I think it's still uh, active where people would, you know, get their movies and certain pizza places and you would see um, store windows or signs and you know it, it it just had this love of new york and the relationship between the dog and the robot it was just so sweet and so fun it was it was something that i think everybody could relate to and there's earth wind and fire september you no will leave the thing. yes yes <laughs> and uh that is a key piece of music um in the film and um when I saw it, the woman who wrote the graphic novel that it's based on um, was there and she had never seen the film. She'd never seen the film. So she was in the audience um, to see her graphic novel brought to life by Pablo Berger at a packed house at the Toronto International Film Festival. Unfortunately, I had to run to another film, so I couldn't stay for the Q&A. But what a lovely moment um, for her uh, mm -hmm. to see the realization of her graphic novel. And mm -hmm. um, it's it's just such a touching film. It's like, I would see this again any day, any day. Oh. It's, and you, it's a film that you can take anybody to. 
Mm-hmm. Anybody, mm-hmm. you can take a cynical person and <laughs> they will have their heart melted like the Grinch. <laughs> yeah, Aww. definitely, definitely. I mean, yeah. If you if you don't have a little tear in your eye at the at the end of the movie, uh, you have no heart. <laughs> I've heard nothing but great things about this film, and I'm so jealous. But I'm I'm hoping it'll it got picked up by some company and it'll be distributed somewhere soon. Yes, because some of the films that we're talking about at the time of the festivals were not sold. Mm-hmm. So hopefully, um, th- there's a sales portion to the film festival. So um, hopefully, that will will happen. We've talked about our all of our you know some three of our each of our three favorites uh before we wrap any honorable mentions whether it's a conversation um or another film gord i'll go to you um my thing would be the pedro i'm in conversation with pedro amadovar i love him as a director he's directed one of my favorite films all about my mother i have been watching his films for over 40 years I've seen them all seen them all many times and it was just so wonderful to be in a room with him talking about his films how um he you know he was responsible for getting the NC-17 rating because his film Tie Me Up Tie Me Down had a specific scene in it that (laughs) it would have got an X rating but they didn't but if they got an X rating then um film critics couldn't talk about the film um because you're most papers wouldn't print it. Um, so that was kind of fun. Him talking about his wonderful cast, like Rosie De Palma and Antonio Banderas, um, just how they all got together and collaborated. Um, it, it was wonderful. And then the kind of the cherry on top is that they showed, um, they had a screening of his new film, the sh- his short uh, film, The Stranger... Um, uh, the Strange Ways of Life, starring Ethan Hawke and everybody's favorite daddy, Pedro um, Pascal. And it was about, it was uh, Amadovar's answer to um, Brokeback Mountain. And it was just, it was a fun, touching, uh, beautiful moment. I, I loved it. I had, it was a dream come true for me to see uh, Amadovar and then to see his new film. So I was, I was over the moon. I think you meant zaddy, not daddy, <laughs> for Pedro Pascal. <laughs> Heidi, um, any uh, film or experience that you want to talk about? Um, I do have a film, but I will say that um, I managed to attend two in conversations this year and very different. One is with, I didn't make it to the Almodovar, but I made it to Sylvester Stallone's and Andy Lau's uh, in conversations and they were both highlights of the fest um, because they're both really iconic in their right, in their own right as actors and producers, directors, you name it. Um, so it was sort of a, a bit of a nostalgia moment at each one for me in terms of having followed their careers for a while. Same for myself. Um the Sylvester Stallone because I wanted to see it because he's he's a writer and I always and I always appreciated that about him and you know finding out about you know the end of the movie where he's having his meltdown finding out that they actually wanted to cut that scene and he had just given everything and he was <laughs> talking about you know the snot running down his nose and him just you know blubbering because he'd given his all to that movie 
and they, you know, they sued him and he had to do a second uh, take of that. And in the end, the test audiences didn't like it. So they had to go back to the original um, of Rambo for that uh, scene. So it was interesting to hear things like that. And yeah. Andy Lau, I'm a total fangirl. Highlight of my life was getting to ask him um, a question. And my question was, uh, what type of film would you direct if you could? And he said that he would do a comedy because, you know, in the in, in the interview, he he mentioned that he would like somebody had asked, you know, um, he would he mentioned that he would like to direct. So Andy Lau, um, as opposed to Andrew Lau. So the in conversation with Andy Lau, uh, Infernal Affairs, House of the Flying Daggers, John <laughs> yeah. Lau, yeah, and so many. Um, other films that he has done. Um, I just adore his acting and his presence on screen. So that was a highlight for me. <laughs> well, we've come to the end of our wrap. And for more of Heidi's favorites, Heidi, give the website again, please. Sure. It's highmusings.ca, H-Y-E-M-U-S-I-N-G-S.ca. Okay. And I'll be putting my favorites up on Instagram at TMTM with Donna G, just letter G at the end. That's my Instagram and it is also my Facebook. And Gord, as always, thank you for joining me and for, and both of you for supporting The More the Merrier. Thank you. Not a problem, Donna. It was an honor and a pleasure to be with you. Thank you both. Thank you so much for tuning in to The More the Merrier with Donna G. I hope you enjoyed my interview with Kirk Cooper of the Durham Region International Film Festival. The website is driff.ca. Thanks to my guest, Heidi M. and Gordon Jingris for joining me to talk about our Toronto International Film Festival favorites. And reminder that favorites um, is something personal, so it's not about what we think is the best film, although it might be. Um, but I hope you enjoyed that talk. Reminder, you can find um, Heidi's favorites and other things at highmusings.ca. H-Y-E-M-U-S-I-N-G-S dot C-A. As for me, my social contacts are TMTM with Donna G. That's just the letter G at the end. TMTM with Donna G on Instagram and Facebook. Or you can also find me www.ciut.fm. Tell your friends to click on Sundays from 1 to 2 p.m. Or they can sort alphabetically um, to find my show. Thank you so much for tuning in, leaving you now with a track by Lena, I'm sorry, by Lenka Leichtenberg and Rula Said, and it's called Peace is the Only Way. Thank you again. Bye-bye.
Shalom.